Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Wow, those are some crazy microphone issues you were having there, Rainer. Yeah, I still don't think it's 100% fixed, but at least I'm recording into my stuff so my voice will be recorded it's a monday yeah, <laughs> technology is having a case of the mondays today for real. welcome to yet another episode of fiddle and pipe i am Brittany fiddle ross i am katherine flincham love the jingle i know it's cute <laughs> i'm and all pumped up and we are with the rainer sleigh vocalist of concrete Supergun. hey guys you know him you love him maybe you hate him Sorry if you do. We're going to keep having him back on. <laughs> I think every podcast needs a little bit of like controversy. So if there are people who hate me, there's probably not though. I'm a likable guy, right? <laughs> For what? Liking Smog from like the last episode that you were on? Which I listened to like recently. <laughs> well, oh I, I just finally, I've been so behind on my podcast. And I just finally went back and listened to the... Um, the one year anniversary episode that y'all did because I skipped <laughs> over it and like two others and then listened and then I had to go back. Oh, you guys gave me some shout outs and some love. And thank you. Yeah. For that. that was, I felt it right here in my little, what is this? Heart. Oh, <laughs> his heart grew three sizes that day. Yep. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, you're of welcome, course. Rainer. I mean, you're basically our favorite guest, so. And a patron. You know what? Let's I will choose that. to believe that that's true. I will, <laughs> even though I know Matt's probably really your favorite. Well, I mean, Matt's not I mean, a patron, so. He's not a patron. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Where are you, Matt? Fake. Oof. So, speaking of fake. Um, something that's not fake is the book that we're reading. This is very real. For today's episode, we did the forward or introduction and the first two chapters of the episode of Butterfly Hunting, The Tragedy and the Glory of Growing Up, a memoir by Ivana Lynch. Matt suggested that we read this book, ironically speaking really? of Matt. I think my yeah. a better transition would have been, speaking of Matt... <laughs> <laughs> Just cut and paste uh, that into that area. Yeah, yeah, edit it. I'll just edit it and it'll be fine. <laughs> Future Brittany, you got this. <laughs> yeah, remember at the end of last year or the beginning of this year, I texted you, Rainer, and I was like, hey, is there anything that you think we should cover on Fiddle and Pipe? I did the same thing to Matt, and this was one of the books that he suggested. And I was struck by the name because I was like, what the hell is the opposite of butterfly hunting? Like, what would literally be the opposite of butterfly hunting? Like, shooting deer? Not hunting butterflies? Just letting them be free? Like, rock collecting, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. So, grab yourself a pet rock. So I looked it up, and that's when I made the connection that she is the actress who played... Luna Lovegood. Yeah, from Harry Potter. I was like, oh, that's exciting. And then I looked it up on Goodreads, and it has like a 4.6 something. It seems like it's fairly recent, too, that she wrote this, I want to say. like I'm enjoying it so far, even though we only read the first two chapters. I mean, I'm liking it so far. She wrote it in last year. Yeah, because I, I was on her Instagram, and I just saw something that she released it not too long ago. So this is pretty recent. You were saying that she's our age, basically. Or your age. Yeah, she's 363 days older than me. <laughs> Oh, that wow. Leo. <laughs> I just went on her Wikipedia page and it was like August 16th, 1991. And I'm like, mine's August 18th, 1992. Hmm. Before we get into this book, um, and I'll put something in the, into the description when I post it, but I think we should probably verbally just say that uh, trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Yes. The first thing that she really talks about is rape. So trigger warning for anything associated with like rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, etc. Uh, she also talks about eating disorders, namely anorexia. So trigger warning for that, trigger warning for perfectionism, trigger warning for all of these things. So I guess don't read it. Don't listen to this 
episode. Catch us on our next book, whatever it is. Listen to our past episodes. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Because this book's very yeah. real. <laughs> it, it really is. It's very, um, I think like, what I really like about the foreword is that she's like, this is like straight up mean. And I mean, I don't know. It just made it seem like, okay, we're going to be talking about some real shit here. And I'm okay with this. That's what I kind of thought. And it blew me away the first chapter or so when she's talking about the stuff she's going through. She's only 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Right? It's crazy to me. I have a 10-year-old daughter who'll be 11 this year. It breaks my heart to think of a kid that age going through something like this. I mean, anybody, obviously, oh. but a kid that age, wow. So this probably hits you on a totally different level. Because, like, Catherine and I were preteen girls once. So that's what I'm thinking about in my head. But you're thinking as, like, a parent. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. I, I do like in the forward that basically she does give a trigger warning for this book. Mm-hmm. And I think it is very appropriate because I like that she in a way, puts the mental health of her readers beyond, like, her own story. She's like, it's not that important. Like, it's it's good for your own self-care. If you can't read this, like, don't read this. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I also like that on, I guess, the flip side of the coin, she's like, the only way to really get better from things is to, like, go into, like, the darkest, deepest depths of what had happened mm-hmm. and talk and deal with that. And as someone, I have some childhood trauma that I have more or less work through still kind of working through and it's true you do need to get into like the deep dark dirty gritty shit in order to like heal from something so i don't know i thought it was just i love the way that she writes as well yeah Yeah, i agree i like how too and in that i guess the author's note or the forward or whatever it is we're talking about uh, she says, you know, she's going to be talking about a, an eating disorder, but she's not going to give any numbers as far as what she weighed or how much she lost, how many calories she was eating or any strategies she used. Because, and as we'll find out later on in the book, she used to read stories about other people going through this and she would read that stuff from them and like use that as strategies to perpetuate her eating disorder. She's like, I don't want to put anybody else through that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she says that people who uh, suffer from eating disorders on some level, they're still proud mm-hmm. in like a really awful way of what they were when they were like their smallest or whatever. So she's like, I'm not going to do this because it's going to trigger other people and it's also going to trigger myself. Yeah. yeah. And I think she draws really good boundaries. I agree. I think it really just kind of shows that she's a human, not just a person that you see on a fi- like a really famous film franchise that we all kind of like. I haven't really seen Ivana Lynch in anything else, and maybe that's just just because I've watched other things and stuff. But I haven't really seen her any in anything else other than Harry Potter. So it just makes her seem like more like a real person that actually went through some real shit. She's not some Hollywood face, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just looked up her on or looked her up on IMDb. She's in some small things, uh, but she's still acting. She did stuff that is released as recently as 2021. She was on Dancing with the Stars. Really? She made third place. She's um, she's a voice on Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. I know she uh, has become a vegan like an outspoken like activist for veganism and has a podcast as well uh that i want to say chickpeas but i don't know if that's right what's it called yeah the chick peeps that's what it says is, is that it okay it would be really cool if she probably didn't cost like a million dollars to book for anything if we could just have her on <laughs> I'll tag her on instagram when we start like rolling these episodes out i'm gonna tag her in every single one like Hi, <laughs> we're reading your book. Because if she's anything like the tone and how she writes, she seems like a very approachable, real, down-to-earth I watched uh, sort of several interviews with her, partially talking about the book and just talking about her life after Harry Potter in general. And she does seem like an extremely nice, very genuine, down-to-earth kind of person that you could just have a conversation with 
and you might yeah. if you didn't already know she was a movie star you probably wouldn't know by just talking to her it seemed like she was pretty normal anyway because like she won that role i want to say like preteen teenage years like early teenage years but she was like i mean even like when we read the first chapter how she's um talking about how she was like super creative with crafts and stuff it just seemed like she was this very artsy creative kid that took acting classes i guess too because she talked about that a little bit as well but she just seems like a normal person with like a quirky personality and i remember reading something very early a long time ago that that she got the luna lovegood role because it really seemed to fit her personality really well. I remember hearing or reading something that she really wanted that role, but it just seemed that she was like a normal person. Even when like the movies were coming out and she was probably getting paid big bucks for that role. She just seemed like a normal I think she girl. was 14 when she got that role, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. When I was 14, I played violin okay. <laughs> I think that's when I finally grew out of, like, eating maple leaves because I thought they tasted like maple syrup, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I have that going for me. Oh, classic. Yeah. Classic Brittany. That was, yeah, for real. Getting some maple leaves, maple syrup, putting on some pancakes, some waffles. I've come far in my life. Brought some maple leaves to Waffle House. Can I just put this on my waffle, please? <laughs> Shouldn't I have told you this? Never going to live it down. For a crisp flavor. <laughs> Like, crunchy flavor. So, so. what do you guys think about the opening of that first chapter? Like, the very first line. It's like, what's rape? Whoa, wait, what? I pipe up from my spot on the floor, craning my neck around to peer at my mother. It feels like the kind of subject that warrants eye contact and careful scrutiny of her micro-expressions. Hmm? She asks. Her expression is frozen. Her widened eyes fixated on the TV screen as her hands pass absentmindedly over a pillow slip on the ironing board. Rape, I announced Nate clearly. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay. Well, I was like, wait, what am I reading? <laughs> that that forward was a good warning. Like, it warned you. But I was prepared for, like, eating disorder. Not, I, I mean, not, not minimizing eating disorder at all. But I wasn't prepared. So what I really thought was interesting about this was that it seems like with this topic, rape, it seems like compared, like, when she's asking her parents what it is, and they're, like, obviously they're, like, ignoring the topic. They're trying to, like, avoid the subject in some way of, like, explaining it, that they that way they can continue on with the news. It seems like that big topics like that, they're just trying to, like, you know, let's wait, like, let's not talk about this, let's avoid the conversation She's too young or too innocent, or maybe the parents don't feel comfortable. Well, they seem like they're in kind of like a, sorry to interrupt, but they seem like they live in like a polite religious family where it's like maybe things that you don't really want to address, you don't really address. Yeah. And in a way, like I can relate that I can relate to this because I know big topics for me growing up like this. I don't remember having a conversation with my parents about this. This was something that I kind of like absorbed from from like on the news reading things online seeing it like on tv and movies and whatnot i never really got a legit conversation about this from my parents but i feel like if i may have asked my parents something about this i kind of like questioned would i actually get a conversation about this topic when i was younger or what if it had this similar reaction because again i'm used to having big hot topics like these kind of like hush hush not really talked about where I do find that at her age it seemed like because she's like what in this chapter she's like 10 11 years old that's like important to kind of like tell your kid especially like when they're going through puberty and everything it's just like kind of that time where they're gonna learn about it regardless especially nowadays with like the internet just being more accessible as it is now compared to what 10 not 10 years ago. Oh my God, I was going to say 10 years ago. 20 years ago when we How were. Old are you? Uh, five, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But for real, I don't know. I just kind of related to it a lot because then it just kind of made me think about okay, how her, her parents going to react when she starts developing this eating disorder? Like, are they going to address it? Are they going to, like, kind of, like, 
creep around it a little bit. That was my first initial thought when I read this, like, first page, at least, with the rape thing. So. Yeah. Uh, For me, my parents talked to me about sex, or at least they tried to, and I did the whole, like, awkward preteen, like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't think I ever had a conversation with my parents about consent. At least not that I remember. They might have talked to me. I think, like you, it was something that I just observed more through, like, society and friends and everything. And thankfully, I've never been in a situation where I had to deal with it. But it is interesting because the way that it's explained to Ivana is that... What what does her mom say? She, like, didn't want it or something like that. Um, she says, her mom says, it's when a man forces a woman to have sex with him, which I was like, okay, that's very, obviously an aged answer, because I feel like at this point, like, we all know, and I feel like it's kind of a general form of conversation that rape is just not a male on female crime. That's true, but I I think Mm -hmm. from a male perspective, like, never once growing up that I ever consider that it was a possibility that I could get raped. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe everybody thinks that, I don't know. Maybe it was just cause I'm a guy and that's the way guys think. I don't know. But when I finally did grow up and learn what rape was, I always thought of it as guy on girl. It's like, okay, as long as I don't ever do that, I don't ever have to worry about it. Which is obviously not true. Cause anybody can get raped. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting about, what Ivana says is she's like, well, why would he want to do that? And then what her mom says is says, well, it's because I suppose he wants the woman so much that he decides to just take her. Yeah, I don't think so that explanation like was maybe the best not way really to phrase good. that. <laughs> no. Because now she's like, oh my gosh, someone could want me so much that he just can't help well, himself? It's flattering. Yeah. And that's what I started thinking, too, is because at the end of, like, this little section, she says, like, how the woman had power in some kind of way. Like, oh, she was so beautiful that, like, this man wanted her. and She had control over these guys who wanted her. And that just kind of sparks, like, some kind of, like, thought it seemed, like, in her head that, okay, like, this is a good thing thing kind of really not good but it's really dangerous when you because i can i can understand that mindset yeah as a kid i i'm not saying i thought that but i definitely do remember being like a teen and a preteen and this is before i guess before i knew that like you could do like there are people who have like rape fantasies and stuff and you can do it in like a safe consensual way but I understand the mindset of like I am so desired by you know ideally my partner that they can't control themselves Mm -hmm. like I feel like that's fundamentally like an understood perception and you're explaining that to like a 10 year old who probably just like barely knows what sex is like that's so dangerous to do yeah you can also see like she thinks okay, there are girls who cause this reaction in guys, and then she mm-hmm. sees how guys treat her, and she's like, I'm definitely not that way. Guys definitely don't react to me that way. What's wrong with me? What do I need to do to fix myself? Because he, she sees all these other girls in her class or her age who are getting attention from boys, and she thinks there's something wrong with her. And you can definitely mm-hmm. see that leading down the road to her eventually getting a eating disorder. Yeah, it just, I don't think it really was explained to her properly. Or, and I mean, explaining that to, like, a preteen of that age is pretty tough. But, I, yeah, I think her parents could have explained it to her a little bit better. Maybe a lot bit better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe, and maybe if they did, I mean... Who knows? Like, maybe the circumstances might have, like, maybe this book would have been different, you know? Maybe, like, the circumstances that happened to Ivana in her life might have been different. You never know. 
Well, she does say later on in the second chapter that there's not just one catalyst that starts an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So I think she the she introduces the concept of this fixation on rape as explained to her by her parents to accompany the other statements that she's making because she makes other statements in this chapter about how her mom for example was very obviously unhappy with her appearance Mm -hmm. like never really looked in the mirror too long kind of like huffed her away like the only thing that really gave her joy was um making like sweets and stuff for people desserts and seeing them eat it again going off of like what what y'all said earlier about like seeing what things draw attention for other people and then also there she notices that there's like a fixation in society on being thin and being productive i've never had an eating disorder so i'm not gonna sit here and act like i know everything about an eating disorder but for most people i feel like it's a sense of trying to get control when you feel like you can't have control most of them come back to control and you feel like the thing that you can control is what you eat and what you look like Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense you can't control the circumstances around you but you can control what you eat when you eat how much you exercise i guess all i'm trying to say is i don't think it's just one catalyst i think the the fixation on on rape and her perception is obviously not a healthy thing but i don't think i would sit there and say that is the thing that caused no her anorexia no i think it just kind of sparked like it kind of sparked something and then like other circumstances later on the chapter kind of like helped fuel the fire a little bit that's what i think i was trying to say okay yeah this is a tough book it really is um I mean, maybe it's just because, like, I haven't been through an eating disorder ever. It seemed like also she did a lot of comparisons of, like, her sisters, how they were, like, kind of developing through their, like, preteen teenage years, and then she's kind of, like, comparing herself, and I never had sisters. I didn't have older siblings, but I did compare myself to, like, other people, I think, when I was that age, because I would see, like, other people, like, kind of maturing, and I would feel like an impubescent, like, eight-year-old. But I remember, like, hitting around, like, 11, 10 years old and kind of thinking about those things, like, getting into, like, okay, how do I look like? Who will recognize me? All that stuff. Yay, middle school. It's a fun time. Don't miss those days. Would never go back. You can't pay me enough. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) You can't pay me. But that is so normal of, like, I think not just with girls, but maybe guys as well. Like, when you hit that age, you start noticing things, and it's like, okay, how can I get people to notice me in some kind of way? Yeah. I I don't know. That's how I experienced, like, life. I do think, too, and she mentions this in some of the interviews I saw, is that, you know, like, hearing the story about rape, and so the act of sex being brought up, and knowing that she was going to grow up to become a woman and that guys were going to look at her that way maybe and that she was going to go through all these changes. She does mention how she became afraid to grow up and to change Mm -hmm. and that part of the eating disorder was kind of an attempt to maintain and stay small stay the Mm -hmm. way she was so she didn't have to grow up and experience all the scary stuff that happens when you become an adolescent teenager going into early adulthood because there's some stuff that is scary and unpleasant and weird and crazy and emotional and parts of it aren't fun i can see wanting to hold that off as long as possible Mm mm-hmm yeah I mean, some women that have eating disorders don't have periods and don't really develop boobs or thighs, curves, but Their growth is basically stunted. Yeah. Depending on the extent, it would keep you small, like very small. And if you look at her too, she's not a big girl either. Like even today, she's pretty like, she's not tiny, like tiny, tiny, but she's pretty good. Like she looks good today. 
Um, but even when you look at her, like, in the movie, she's, she doesn't look like a big girl. Like, she's pretty tiny. And I'm assuming that she was like that, too, when she was younger. Because I've been stalking her Instagram, so I've been seeing a lot of flashback <laughs> photos. I'm just like, she's adorable. I, I like her. Well, I remember being a preteen girl, so I'm the oldest of three girls. So I was the first one to have to go through puberty, which I got my first period when I was in seventh grade. And I think I had to start wearing a bra when I was in fifth grade, if I remember correctly. But I had friends that were, you know, wearing like adult sized bras in like third grade, fourth grade. Not me. Can't relate. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. I'm kind of like... Is it genetics? Is it the growth hormones in your milk? I don't know. But yeah, you start looking at them and then you start looking at yourself and you see this weird mix of like, I desire to be that, but also, oh God, keep that away from me. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got my period for the first time, I cried. It was awful. I hated it. <laughs> Even though my parents like fully explained like what was going on and everything, like there's blood coming out of your vagina (laughs) it's terrifying oh i was terrified because i was like great i have to deal with this for the rest of my life (laughs) or most of my life at least for the next several decades (laughs) exactly (laughs) but yeah totally relate to that at all well i mean i'm sure that guys have their own i mean y'all have your own stuff going on during puberty and i'm sure you get for sure just as like bodily self-conscious as like women do i just think women are more outspoken about it yeah it's uh unless i'm totally wrong i mean i'm not a guy i also don't have brothers <laughs> yeah with guys it always seems like i don't even know how to phrase it like as you're quote unquote becoming a man it's supposed to be like a not a big deal but like you're supposed to be happy about it and like excited and like yes i'm finally a man and like all this bullshit and so it's not as accepted i don't feel to be like scared and freaked out and emotional about stuff and not know what's going on and to ask questions like it's that's not as accepted with guys as i think it seems to be with girls so a lot of guys and i would include myself in this category just sort of figure it out as on our own as we're going along and weird stuff happens and you're just like i don't know what's going on right now but i'm just gonna deal with it because i'm too afraid to say something to anybody or admit that like i don't know what's happening yeah because you're a man you have to be a man man. man. yeah your voice just dropped be a man (laughs) i can't do that I have a really high face. Oh, man. It was so embarrassing as a middle schooler having my voice change and drop. And then I would squeak occasionally <laughs> like you're talking in class. And then it was squeak. And it was so embarrassing. See, I never noticed it. And I had a brother growing up. And I never noticed it with him. And, that's, and maybe that just tells like how like oblivious I am in real life. I noticed but. some guys' voices cracking, but it never was, like, a big deal. I was just like, It oh, never, okay. yeah, it never struck me. Look at most things. It's a way, way bigger deal when it's happening to you mm-hmm. than it is happening to somebody else. You know, I noticed every little squeak and modulation of my voice, and I was hyper-conscious of it. And I'm sure most other people didn't even notice. Or did they didn't care if they did. It's funny because when I was in middle school, I remember like the first week of sixth grade, we did like, I guess for lack of a better word, a tour in quotes of band orchestra and chorus. And I remember the orchestra teacher was talking about how when you get to eighth grade, sometimes you need to change what voice part you're in because she was saying that guys' voices drop and her words, quote unquote, were girls' voices become breathier. And I was like, what does that even mean? (laughs) And I listen to my voice now. I'm like, my voice is not breathy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not like, hello, my name's Brittany. (laughs) This is like you're having an asthma attack. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I sound like that. (laughs) Do you need your inhaler? No, I'm fine. (laughs) But I was like, I remember 
hearing that sound a little breathy right now. And I was laughing with my friends, but I was also really scared. I'm like, what is, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> you know? Like, what does breathy mean? It's like, at least guys' voices just drop. Women's voices, I don't... They get breathier. Breathier. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that was a part of puberty, but now I know. Yeah. Um, a symptom that you and I both... Still haven't experienced yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Yeah. You're, you're still waiting for puberty? <laughs> still waiting for it to happen, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh gosh. Um. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm gonna be late. Oh, so I'm gonna go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. Well, I think the end of chapter one basically is when she kind of discovers anorexia, like the term. I think. Doesn't she explain how she's sitting in the car and, like, her parents are talking about, like, about one person's daughter that is going through anorexia and they're kind of, like, mm -hmm. mumbling it and Ivana hears it and she's like, what's anorexia? And her parents, again, like, go back. It's, like, basically... The rape conversation all over again? Yeah, like, how, it, how the chapter started versus how the chapter ends. It's very similar. Her parents are, again, kind of, like brushing on the subject like tiny bit and then they're like let's not get into detail because like the whole car goes silent and everyone's listening and her mom basically is just like oh she gets super thin and uh Ivana's like doesn't she get hungry and then her mom's like yeah, I'm sure she does but what I thought was really interesting was that like this was even towards the end of the chapter she's like kind of moving away from like it seems like this like childlike kind of innocent mindset to this like newer mindset of because like she's thinking about the crafts that she used to do like making all these things um out of like toilet rolls and making these beaded necklaces and coloring and all that stuff and it's kind of going away and this is when she starts like shifting her focus to like okay I need to find like my own identity because like my sisters do this like, one of them's, like, super artistic. The other one is, like, a little bit more... Tomboy. Fully embracing like puberty. Tomboy. Yeah. And so she's, like, trying to find her thing. And she's, like, how can I, like, you know, find my thing and be, like... I need to find something that's absolutely perfect. And I think that is, like, kind of also adding fuel to the fire of her leading down this road of her eating disorder. Um, mm -hmm. It's very interesting. It seems that day by day, the older I get, the more people I meet, the more abundantly clear it is that I have nothing special, nothing exceptional, nothing that anchors me to life and love, nothing for which anyone would want me. In creativity, which has always been my sanctuary, my way of communicating to the world, all the images whirling around my mind now frustrates me and haunts me. It's just teeming with imperfections I can't abide. The birds could always be more beautiful. I will never and can be never finished with them. Everywhere in my creations, I see mistakes rather than beauty, expressions of my innately flawed interior. What is the point in spending my life on things that can never be done, on something that won't save me from my inherent, in, oh my gosh, inherent unworthiness? I need something more concrete, more worthy, something impenetrably perfect. Some dark shit. She's only 11. I know. Mm -hmm. Like, thinking that? I mean... I definitely was not thinking that when I was 11 years old. I was definitely still kind of like, maybe it was also because like sixth grade when I was 11 years old was still part of like elementary school because that's how weird Cherokee County was back in the day. 
So I still felt like I was a child and I still had all these like innocent childlike thoughts going in my head. Like I remember I, was, I knew I was going to middle school, but I wasn't like so determined about like growing up and finding something like that. I don't know. It just kind of felt like she felt worthless in a way. That's like kind of what I read, like what I took from this, that she kind of felt a little worthless and I it's intense for that age, I think, to think that and feel that. It's really awful. I'm not sure. It might have, this might have been back in the first chapter when people would ask her what she wants to be when she grows up. And she would always say something like, a pink kitty or a unicorn or whatever. And mm-hmm. then people eventually started being like, all right, you know, that's, you can't actually be that. What do you really want to be? And she kind of, I guess, lost that spark, that innocent spark mm-hmm. somehow and started thinking, oh, wow, I do actually have to grow up and, like, do something. And I don't feel like I'm good enough to do anything. I don't remember if I was ever actually conscious of that when I was growing up, like when I became a teenager. I don't, I'm, I can't, I've been trying to think back while we've been recording and I don't know when I became a teenager. I started thinking it a little bit more when I was like eighth grade, maybe, but I remember I did have a point in my life where, and again, this was like sixth grade mainly because I think it was like, okay, you're at the end of elementary school, you're going to middle school kind of thing. And I remember like thinking in my head, oh my God, next year I'm in middle school. I'm only in middle school for two years. And then I'm in high school for four years. And then I'm in college. And then I'm like leaving my house and I have to get a job and I have to be an adult. And I just remember like, I would think this way every single night and it's to the point where I just like would start crying and I would like go downstairs and I'd be like, I can't sleep because I would just start panicking about like, what am I going to do with my life? What's going to happen in the next like few years? Why can't I just be a kid again? Like being a kid was so simple and easy. So in a way, like I can relate to that because it's really terrifying when you're like that young you really don't know what you want to do when you're older I didn't know that I wanted to do flute when I was old like when I was 11 years old because I was not practicing my flute I was on Zanga so I was more (laughs) interested on the internet than I was my instrument but still I had no clue what I wanted to be when I was growing up I was scared I was like oh my god I have to like have a family I have to provide for myself I have to pay bills like that's terrifying when you're just like a preteen trying to just figure out like okay what is my algebra homework going to be tomorrow you know not yeah figuring out life things and I mean I remember they were making us figure out what we wanted to be to grow up when we were like in seventh eighth grade they're like figure it out now because if you don't figure it out and if you don't pass these courses you're going to be a year behind and then you can't graduate and I'm like ah! then you'll grow up and be a trench digger or a sanitation worker <laughs> At that age, it's hard enough to figure out who you are in that moment, let alone who you're going to be 5, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years in the future. I don't yeah. know. I'm still figuring out life right now. Well, at that age, too, you care so much more about the people in your life. I mean, I, I care about the people in my life, but I don't care what I dress like. I, I dress to make myself happy. I do things to make myself happy, but when I was... 11, 12, 13, if I knew that people would like me better if I did XYZ or acted XYZ, I would lean towards doing those things. Mm. Oh, yeah. You care so much more about what your peers think when you're that age as opposed to being an adult. Yeah. Chapter two. uh, This is when she starts out with what you said earlier, Rainer, where she's like, I'm not going to give any specifics because... Mm -hmm. Like, that's not what this book is about. She doesn't want to enable somebody else who might be reading this book and be like, oh, she did that? And she lost that much weight? Ooh, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's, yeah. not, that's not what this book is about. Also, I think it's possible, it's partially, not possible, partially, what, I think one of y'all said this earlier, like, people with eating disorders, there's a little bit of pride in what they're doing and able to accomplish. And she doesn't want to, well, feed, I was going to say feed the monster, which is a terrible turn of phrase to use here. But she wants to feed the monster, meaning she doesn't want to like stoke her ego or that, why can't I say what I'm trying to say? 
She doesn't want to say the numbers and feel proud or good about what she did and maybe end up slipping back into it because she got a taste of, oh, remember what that felt like when you did that. It's amazing what people do to have a sense of control over themselves. I work out a lot. I don't work out excessively. But to me, that's a form of control. That's a form... That's a part of my life that I can control. It makes me feel better. It helps me address my anxiety. If I go for a while without exercising, I definitely get in my own head more. I'm sure everyone's experience with eating disorders are different. And again, as someone who hasn't struggled with one, I feel weird speaking about it. But for her, she basically says it is a point of control because she feels like she needs to control what other people think about her. And she sees all these people around her being very like hyper vigilant on physical appearances. Maybe a weird comparison, but um, y'all two know. And then maybe good listeners are not good, but like consistent listeners of our podcast know. I've recently been diagnosed with PCOS. So like the first few steps of her anorexia are literally stuff that I've been doing. Really? Like you're doing, you're eating like less sweets. Yeah, I can't. I'm avoiding sugars. I'm going for complex carbohydrates. Uh, because she says the first thing that she did was cutting out cake. And I'm like, that's a mood. Yeah, for real. I and I, that, I did, that did kind of like hit, I don't know, an emotional button with me when she was talking about her mom's, basically her love language, is cooking sweets for her kids. And she stopped eating mm-hmm. them. And you could see the effect it was having on her mom not being able to like feel like she could show her daughter love in that way. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. When I found out that I had PCOS, I started thinking about food kind of weird. And it's hard not to when you are an athletic person who is suddenly told, like, out of the blue that you have to be on a low-carb diet. And then you start reading a bunch of stuff. And you see how much sugar is in everything. And you see how much shit's unhealthy for you. Mm. I remember like the first week or two that I had it, I was like going to contact a dietitian or like a nutritionist because I didn't want to think about food weird. Luckily, I kind of got myself out of that mindset by going, you know, as long as I eat mostly healthy, mostly complex carbs, you know, avoid sugar when I can. This is like her first two, her first few steps are very normal. And that's what happens with a lot of these things. I think that's the big thing yeah. about eating disorders is you start, it's it's taking something that to a point could be good. I say eating disorders, this specific disorder, I guess. Because yeah, cutting out cakes and sweets would be a good thing. It's just that it gets taken to the extreme and gets taken past the point where it's healthy into the point where it's unhealthy. Well, it also just kind of made me like sad because I was sitting there, I don't know, like, As I read throughout this chapter, I was just, like, thinking in my head, that's a vital age where, like, you're not only going through, like, you know, changes personally in your body through puberty, but, like, especially back then, I don't know how it is now, if it's different today, but I just remember being in middle school and thinking, like, when you, if you have, like, a certain look and you wear the certain clothes and you, like... I I just remember everyone was freaking tanning when I was in seventh grade. I'm like, how are you 12 years old going to a tanning salon? Like, I would die of skin cancer if I had that. I just remember there was, like, a certain way to look, and it just seemed like that was kind of in making her, like, yeah, like, that's in. And It's like how when, because you and I are similar ages, and I know that, Rainer, you, I, Lauren, and David were talking about this recently, but it's like how Abercrombie, when we were in middle school, Oh my god, everyone is going there. <laughs> like, their sizes were so small. And their sizes were so small, too. Like, so small. Like, I think I wore a women's small when I was in middle school. And I wore, like, a large there. Which is weird. <laughs> yeah, I never shopped at Abercrombie because my mom was like, this is too expensive. <laughs> you I can't like, wear this. Same. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, but like, it's... Abercrombie was so ridiculously like small for sizes undersized yeah and i just remember being like that age even older because like when i was younger i didn't really do a lot of sports when i was in middle school i was kind of like you know i was in middle school 
I was just an average size kid. I just remember like my parents kind of pushed me to eat healthier and that's when I started thinking like I have to eat whole grain things to be healthy and to be like look attractive. That way I can get this cute guy to like notice me in my homeroom that will never and he walks me. by you and he's like, hey babe, I see you eating that whole grain bagel. Hello. Right? <laughs> I'm into that. I remember, like, I used to start doing these things when I was in high school, especially, where, like, for Lent, for instance, I would use Lent as, like, a way for me to cut out certain things from my diet. Like, I remember I used to drink a lot of sodas, lots of sodas, Cokes, like, not Coke, but the big case that you would get, like, at Kroger for, like, all the packs. Like, I used to, like, get rid of, like, a 12-pack an entire weekend because that was my thing and I just remember like cutting out like sodas for Lent I would feel so proud of it which like I was glad to like give up for something for an x amount of weeks but then like afterwards I'd be like oh I don't drink coke anymore because I got because like I don't really drink soda as much anymore but I used to be so proud of it like oh like I lost this much weight after like not drinking sodas and I used to do that with chips and fast food all the time and I used to just like feel so proud of myself and be like, oh yeah, because I like lost X amount of pounds doing this and now I feel better and healthier. Well, it's it's far reaching how like toxic that mindset goes because it's very toxic. Due to genetics, I am um, a little thicker on the bottom half. If y'all <laughs> catch what I'm It's thick, out. 30. Uh, quoting Lizzo. <laughs> it's bad bitch o'clock. Thick thighs save lives. <laughs> um, but I was, like, really self-conscious about my thighs and my butt. Basically, until I was an undergrad. Like, I would wear men's basketball shorts because I felt like it hid my ass better. But you got a nice booty. Yeah, and I know that now, and I work it, but, like, it literally took until, like, I was dating David, and he's like, no, you have a nice butt, like, what are you doing? And he literally, like, berated me until I was just like, okay, yeah, like, I look great. And it's just like, it's, how, why did I hate such a, not, like, big as in, like, you know, like, big ass, but, like, big, like, literally, like, the whole bottom half of my body, why did I hate it until I was, like, 19, 20? Mm-hmm. Like, that sucks. I was born with it. I wasn't, like, a chubby kid. I was a pretty skinny kid. Mm-hmm. I was a chubby it's kid. A... I was a very chubby kid. I was. I dealt with being overweight pretty much my whole life. And I remember being still in elementary school, but it was, like, like fifth grade, maybe. And we had a pool party. And it was the first time I had ever really been so self-conscious about the fact that I was overweight and had a big gut that I, for probably the first time ever, wore a t-shirt to and in the pool, and I'd never done that before. And from that moment on, I was like, I guess I have to keep doing this now so people can't see how fat I am, even though obviously, you know, a wet t-shirt, you can tell how fat someone is, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel you there. It's just sad that you can hate, like, normal parts of your body. I think that's, like, what's kind of different. I think today, and what I'm seeing more on social media, is that people are a little bit more body conscious. And people mm-hmm. are, like, you know, speaking up more about, like, you know, I'm proud to have thick thighs. And I'm proud to be, like, you know, I'm not the skinniest person in the room, which I think is great. I'm glad that there's more body positivity showing up on social media. And I hope that's, like, an encouragement, especially for kids today. That way there's less of this happening where we're, like, like, I just, again, I always, like, look back to, like, what I would see, like, on my MySpace, uh, like, pictures on my MySpace, what I would see in magazines and trying to look like this like celebrity person that I'm definitely not. And it just like put a lot of like, just a lot of toxic mind 
I was gonna say mind thoughts for a second, mind but thoughts. it just really. Well, I mean, mind thoughts. Monday. This be your spinoff uh, podcast, mind thoughts with Catherine. Mind thoughts. Mind thoughts. <laughs> but I just, I, I think like today it's somewhat a little bit different now compared to like what we were growing up a long time ago. And same with Ivana's case too, because like again, she was a preteen during like the two thousands, basically early 2000s where like that stuff was like still kind of like that was when the early America's next top model cycles were happening and they were really harsh about people's weight on the first like in those early cycles like they would look at a girl that was like soup like she would weigh like a hundred and something like 20 pounds and they'd be like that's too much and I'm like oh that's insane like if you watch those early cycles like they're measuring the girls I think it's cycle two especially that's like what I remember they're just measuring the girls, and even for the plus-size model that was there, they, like, give her, like, kind of some crap, and I'm just like, oh, if I can just go back in time to, like, 2003, 2004, and be like, she's great! Like, oh, it's just, yeah. Ivana goes on to talk about how her eating disorder started to get less normal to the point where her parents, or I guess her mom, basically had to totally modify what Ivana was eating to differentiate from the rest of the family. Well, she had, like, turkey burgers, right? Like, that were fried in butter or something. And if she knew that they were fried in butter, she'd feed it to the dog instead of eating it. Mm-hmm. And she started getting into the habit of, like, putting food in her sleeves or, like, in a napkin or something and then throwing it outside after. And her mom caught her one of these times. And then that's when she started taking her to a nutritionist who basically was just like you're really underweight and your bmi is really low so let's do what we can to make your diet better and it didn't work well she's like also kind of just like thinking like yeah whatever like she's not really taking it seriously i think Mm -mm. it's one thing she says about her i guess issues with her early treatment it's like she felt like they were not attempting to fix the cause of the problem. They were trying to fix her eating disorder, but the reason she had an eating disorder is because of these other reasons, and they weren't addressing the other reasons. So to her, the eating disorder was the solution to her other problems, and they were trying to take away her solution, and so she was not having it. When if Mm -hmm. they had redirected and focus more on the reason she had the eating disorder to begin with. Maybe things would go differently. She's also, like, working out, like, continuously, too, it seems like. She's, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but when I was her age, I was not working out. I, you could not pay me to go outside. I have some <laughs> friends who did, like, track and field and cross country and stuff in high school And I knew a few girls on these teams who would not eat very much and just run insane distances and just overwork out. And you knew that they were too small, probably like anorexic or borderline anorexic. The thing is, is like anorexic, anorexia is like not defined by a weight. It's like a mental, it's a mental illness. So you can have like the mental like perspective of anorexia and not like physically be anorexic too which i think is kind of what ivana was hinting at too is like they were hint they were they weren't treating her the mental illness they were treating the symptoms mm-hmm. so yeah. like even now i exercise a lot but i also like i eat when i'm hungry but i'm also one of those people if i'm really stressed i don't eat so i just can't work out on an empty stomach like I I know for me at least in I I remember this being a thing as well when I was younger but like I just don't do well not eating and then doing something physical like running five miles because I I can tell when I am fully nourished and running and then when I'm not fully nourished and running and it there's a difference of how I enjoy running how I feel when I'm when I'm running and how energized I am and it's just there's a difference and it's it feels tiring and that's all I could imagine was just a tired child running down a street 
we're cycling through a street in her terms. And it just makes me sad. Very sad. Well, you know how people who really like exercising enjoy how it makes their body feel? She not only says that she likes how exercise makes her body feel, but she also likes how not eating makes her body feel. So it's like her body's releasing hormones Mm -hmm. from doing both instead of being exercise only. And she probably just thinks that this is okay. Like, this is, I'm fine. I feel fine. This is fine. Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. She mentions Harry Potter at the end of the chapter, and that made me really happy. So I was like, I see what you did there. She said that. Oh, yeah. I do think knowing sort of, I don't want to say the end of the story, because obviously she's still outliving her life, but Mm -hmm. knowing that she ends up being okay, she ends up beating this. I don't know, maybe that's spoiler alert. Uh, But knowing that she gets into Harry Potter, that she recovers from all this, makes all of this really tough stuff, I think, a little bit easier to read, knowing that there's Mm -hmm. a basically a happy ending yeah well she says that harry potter kind of helped her through her eating disorder too like she's Mm -hmm. mentioned that i mean it's good to know that this ends in a happy way because right now we left off with like chapter two with her like what she's alone on christmas and she's basically kind of like alienated herself from like her siblings because she's she doesn't really have like friends as much. Like she doesn't really hang out with her friends as often anymore. She's just more focused. Her, it's like wasted energy. Yeah, she's more focused on herself, and she's just distancing herself. And there's like tension because she's not eating the right things to, you know, help her, like you know, be healthy. And then it's causing a strain in her family. And so, it's nice to see that she has this happy ending. But it just makes me these these first two chapters were really beefy like 82 pages worth of like some serious stuff. I think stuff. it's worth noting too talking about her being alone on Christmas not wanting to go hang out with the family mm-hmm. that the reason she wanted to skip out on that is because she knew that everyone there would be judging her and asking her about it and telling her what she needs to be doing and so mm-hmm. she's just like I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff so that is like something to keep in mind as somebody dealing with somebody else who's going through this is like obviously don't enable them but at the same time like they don't need your judgment and they don't need you being on their ass all the time sometimes they just need you to just love them and let them know that you care about them you know Mm -hmm. that you love them yeah, that's the hard thing about mental illness is, like, the person needs to want to change. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, there's not too much you can do. You can encourage help, and you can... Was that analogy? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That's basically, like, mental illness in a nutshell. There's only so much you can do if you're not the person who's struggling with it yourself. The last scene... I guess scene, for lack of a better word, of the second chapter is, Rainer, you talked previously about how heartbreaking it was that she was turning away her mom's love language of baking food for people. Her mom came in while she was reading Harry Potter because she was saying one of the few things that gave her joy when she wasn't either exercising or, for lack of a better word, starving herself was reading Harry Potter, and instead of finding new books to read, which she would try, she would just keep reading the four books that were still out. Um, Her mom came in and was begging her to eat something, and she was like, I don't want to eat anything. And her mom was like, okay, well, like, what, what can I do? Like, please eat. And she's like, okay, fine, I'll eat an apple. So her mom, like, peeled it for her and, like, cut it into little nice slivers and, like, put it in a bowl so it was like a flower, and she was like... I should read it because I'm not going to do it justice. I stared down at the little bowl in my hands, white with dainty blue and red flowers decorating the edges. She had peeled a perfect golden delicious, sliced it thinly, then arranged the pieces in a small flower shape, the slices overlapping each other like petals. I'd taken away her favorite love language, banished all the cakes and biscuits, the penguin bars, the Jaffa, Jaffa cakes, the little jam tart treats she'd sneak into her lunchboxes as a surprise. No sugar, no butter, no light, and 
no light and fluffy, thickly sliced, oh my gosh, no sugar, no butter, no light, and fluffy, thickly sliced buns. Say that five times fast. I've denied anything she made with her hands with thought and love and allowed only cold, hard, flavorless whole foods from the ground to pass my lips. I barricaded myself away from love, stripping away life's most simple, frivolous, oh my gosh, pleasures, love by one, till my world was completely boarded up from the affections of others, impenetrable and unforthcoming. I told everyone to leave me alone and stop trying to help, that I didn't need them or ask them to care about me. I told them to go about their lives and forget I was there. I denied and refused my mother's love for months, coldly pushing it back towards her across the table. I tried to get rid of it so it would be easier and less complicated to continue my efforts to slowly, peacefully shrink. And yet here it still was, bare, simple, stripped of its ferals, but neatly arranged in the shape of a yellow flower made of carefully sliced apple pieces, my mother's love still trying to get through the cracks of the fortress I built against it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful writing. Oh, yeah. Really bad speaking, but great writing. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's a great writer. One of the interviews I watched from her, she, the uh, interviewer, asked her if she told J.K. Rowling that she was writing a book. And she was like, heck no, I don't want her to know I'm writing a book. She's like the queen of literature, and I'd go tell her I'm going to write a book. She's just going to laugh at me. She's like, actually, just no, she won't. J.K.'s great. She's like, I, I was too embarrassed to let her know that I was writing a book because she's so incredible, and I'm just some Joe Schmo nobody. Aw, no. I don't think that way at all. Yeah. Well, she she said she did eventually let J.K. know, and J.K. like thought it was great. But I mean, I would love to casually let J.K. Rowling know that I was writing a book. I'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, J.K., um, I'm writing a book. Just, just want to let you know. Well, I was reading on her Wikipedia page, because that's how generic I am, but she apparently, like, wrote, and I mean, maybe this is a spoiler alert, I have no idea, but apparently she wrote to J.K. Rowling, like, when she was a kid, how, like, Harry Potter helped her through her eating disorder. Mm. So, yeah. And I remember reading that somewhere else as well. I just, I did a lot of weird nerdum back in the day when I remember when she got that role. And when the first, and when that fifth movie came out, I just remember reading a lot about her at the time because I was on MySpace <laughs> a lot. It's, makes sense. That was the time. Um, but yeah, she wrote apparently to JK about her eating disorder. I can see how she was like, oh, I'm scared, intimidated. I can totally get that. Yeah, especially if she viewed that as like one of the things I was able to like pull her out. That's intimidating. I really like this book so far. I was falling asleep last night reading the second chapter because I was so tired and I could not put it down. (laughs) I literally like finished it and I had to stop because I can't retain anything and I didn't want to bleed into the third chapter. (laughs) Yeah, I need to wait to like read this until we do our next session. (laughs) That way it's like fresh because we got a week. Thank you for joining us, Rainer. Thanks for having me again. I always love coming on. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug before you sign off or before we Uh, sign off? Just you can check out my band on pretty much all social media platforms at Concrete Supergun. Just search that. You'll find us. Did you guys just finish a music video? Yeah. Yeah. It just it looked like that on your latest post. So I was like, what's happened? Yeah, we recorded a music video for one of our songs called Valhalla. And Exciting. I, I don't know when it's going to actually be coming out, but we did film it this past weekend. Should be really exciting. Yeah. If you want to find us on social media, you can find Catherine at Cat Flinch Flute. And you can find Brittany at BM Ross Music. And you can find the podcast at Fiddle and Pipe. You can also find us on Facebook. Um... What is our Facebook? Fiddle, Fiddle and Pipe, and Pipe Forum. Forum. I always want to say at Fiddle and Pipe Forum, but then I get confused because it's like... We might as well. Is it the at sign or... Aren't Facebook and Instagram turning into the same thing? Aren't they the same company? Should they just be the same thing already? They're owned by the same person. I don't know. I don't work there. If you want to do more to support our podcast, you can find us on patreon.com slash Fiddle and Pipe. There you can 
subscribe and for a monthly, I guess, donation, you can have access to our happy hour podcast as well as our bloopers and outtakes from every episode. And in return, that allows us to buy books and update our equipment and pay ourselves for the hours of work that we put into our podcast each week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you can give us a kind donation of two or five dollars a month. And we promise we have things to share with you guys. Yeah, we have another tier coming soon, <laughs> TBA. Um, if you can't support us right now financially, no offense taken. A little offense taken, Matt. But you can looking at you. send us a <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts. That's absolutely free. And you can rate us on Spotify or Apple, which is also free. So go do that. And now. Something that's a little bit more effort would be to show our podcast to a friend. Mm-hmm. Your dog, your neighbor. Your cat. Your cat, yeah. Your mailman. Your neighbor. Mailman. It gets more clicks, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't even need to listen to it. Just just play it. <laughs> just play it. Anything else? Um, no. Next, Next week, we are covering chapters. chapters. Is it three and four? With Matt. With Matt. Should be cool. <laughs> well, um, until next time. I guess we'll see y'all later. Bye. This is a definite serious more tone, like a more serious tone compared to the Hobbit.